Hey, welcome back to the Kanye History Club. Tonight, we'll have another Alamat episode where we'll share the story of the gods of life and health and the Clark Air Base hospital horrors. So get comfy, get your blanket, milk and cookies, and let's get this bedtime story started. Traditional Magic and Medicine in the Philippines Lifted from Traditional Magic and Medicine and the History of Modern Psychiatry in the Philippines by Miguel P. Texon, M.D. Traditional magic rested in the beliefs in religion, in the future life, mourning customs, black magic, and superstitions. Medicine was regarded as coming from God because it was the inspiration and expression of a natural instinct the desire to relieve ills and sufferings independent of reasons. He who practiced it without hope of reward was considered divine. The supreme God, creator of the universe, and the lord of all men and villages was called Bathala by the Tagalogs. There were minor gods and goddesses, notably Idianale, Tagalog goddess of agriculture, and Barangao, Visayan god of the rainbow. The early Filipinos believed in spirits called anitos or diwatas. These spirits were either good or bad, the good ones being the spirits of their ancestors and the bad ones the spirits of their enemies. Man was thought to be composed of an ethereal body and an internal soul. The souls of people who had been good and just who had died in battle, and whose relatives had offered sacrifices to the gods and Anitos, went to heaven. The souls of the evil and craven went to hell, where they lived in perpetual torture, amidst suffocating heat and blasting flames. Primitive medicine was practiced by the tribe doctor, who supposedly possessed magical powers. The herbolario was the herbalist, and the hilot was the bone setter. The kahig, a procedure for removal of foreign body, opacity, and ulcers of the cornea, was the most famous of all minor surgeries performed by the doctors. Hard pointed objects made of coconut, bamboo spines, or spines of the pomelo were commonly used, heated or unheated. The edge of a coin was sometimes utilized or the dull edges of the sperma or candle. Infection was very frequent, and usually the kahig made the cornea opacity bigger. Persons who were born with the feet delivered first, and called the suhi, were believed to have the power of removing fish spines or bones stuck in the throat. So, among the early people of Zambales, it is recorded that Malayari was considered the highest-ranking deity. Powerful and almighty, Malayari was said to be the creator of all things on earth. He was the master of life and the lord of death. He was compassionate and loving. He granted satisfaction to the desires of his favorites. He sent rains for the fields of his worshippers, good health for those who followed his wishes, and wealth and good harvest for all those who faithfully observed his laws. However, like other gods, 
Malayari was also exacting and cruel in his punishment of those who ignored his commandments. He would send down disease, famine, misery, and destruction to the unbelievers, especially to those who refused to offer him sacrifices. Describing the ritual to Malayari, Father Perez wrote, These Indians, referring to the Zambals, have their priests and priestesses, although such have no jurisdiction over the others. For here, everyone is a master of his own will, and they alone recognize superiority insofar as he gives authority to other priests and priestesses for some special sacrifice. This priest is called Hayuk, and he dresses like a woman. He wears a tapis and ties up his hair, although above the tapis he wears and girds his katan on his left side, and on the right side an iwa or dagger. There are also divinities assisting Malayari in administering the affairs of the universe. He was assisted by several minor deities who were called Anito, among whom was Akasi, the Anito of health and sickness. Akasi is sometimes considered as having powers equal to that of Malayari and was the celebrated god of health and sickness. Sacrifices for the immediate recovery of the sick were made to this god. Some people seem to have even considered Akasi superior to Malayari, as evidenced by the song, Magyaman Man Amalayari Monagon Si Akasi, which translated means, Although Malayari is powerful, Akasi gets the first fruits. Some even consider him a chief deity, although no one had seen Akasi. Many of the priests claimed that they had even talked to him. This was lifted from the notes on Philippine divinities by F. Landa Hokan. Up next, we have the Clark Air Base Hospital Horrors. This is coming from the book of Richard Estep, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, True Life Paranormal Encounters in Asylums, Hospitals, and Institutions. Please do note that the story is in a narrative perspective, so I'll, I will be saying pronouns such as I. It's not my perspective, it's from the perspective of Sir Richard Estep. Without further ado, let's begin. So, the Philippines has played a long pivotal role sa U.S. military strategy. Merong mga American troops and other service personnel that were stationed in several areas in the Philippines throughout the most throughout most ng 20th century. So around 1903, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the executive order leading to establish uh, U.S. Army Fort Stotzenberg. So this was three miles west of Angelo City. I'm not sure if this is Angeles or Angelo talaga. Could be um, future established as Angeles City. One major reason for choosing this particular location was that the grass made good feed for the cavalry horses. So military aviation was still in its infancy during the early 1900s but was rapidly regaining interest 
and growing in popularity in the, in the army and the navy. So like many major military bases of the time, Fort Stotzenberg possessed a dedicated airstrip, primarily operated by the Army Signal Corps. In 1919, in keeping with the long-established military tradition of naming new installations after prominent members of the service, the Army Signal Corps named the fledgling new named the fledgling new airfield Clark Field after Signal Corps Major Harold Clark. The Army military establishment was not blind to the steady growth and increasing reach of the Japanese war machine. As the 1930s gave way to the 1940s, more and more American bomber squadrons were transferred to Clark Field. Following the Japanese sneak attack on the fleet at Pearl Harbor, on December 7, 1941, the flames of war engulfed the entire Pacific region. Clark Field was subject to a massive Japanese airstrike on December 8th, with enemy aircraft raining down bombs upon the hangars and runway alike with impunity. The air destroyed, or the, the raid rather, the raid destroyed much of the American bomber force while it was still on the ground more air raids were to follow. One story, which still makes the rounds both locally and on a multitude of internet websites, but has proven difficult to substantiate, tells of a particularly heavy bombing raid during the Christmas holiday season of 1941. The home plate canteen was supposedly bombed when it was full to capacity with service personnel enjoying a holiday dinner, the vast majority of whom were said to be killed. Whether the story is true or not is difficult to say, though it seems odd that base personnel had time to enjoy a holiday dinner when Clark Field was evacuated by December 24 of that year. But a number of local eyewitnesses have reported hearing the distant, haunting melodies of period swing music playing in the vicinity of what used to be the home plate canteen, particularly in the early hours of the morning. Other passers-by have heard the sounds of animated conversation, laughter, and the sort of general revelry that would suggest either party or similar social gathering was going on. A few have had the courage to go in any closer, and those who do dare to investigate are never able to find a source for their inexplicable noises. With defeat almost inevitable, the battered and bloodied American forces ultimately evacuated from Clark, flying out the personnel and as much salvageable equipment as possible on Christmas Eve of 1941. Japanese forces then overran the entire base, occupied it, and made it their own. One fascinating historical footnote, which most people are unaware of, also dates back to this particular time period. Something truly ugly was born at Clark Field. 
when it lay within Japanese hands, the kamikaze, or divine wind. These one-way suicide missions were first flown out of Clark in 1944. The pilots weaving and twisting their way through the flak screens of U.S. Navy ships before slamming into the decks of the American aircraft carriers and exploding in a ball of fire, immolating the unlucky sailors who happened to be in their path. The kamikaze pilots were trained in the small town of Mabalkat, which can be found just a couple of miles east of Clark Base. To this day, a historical marker stands outside an anonymous-looking building in the town, commemorating the place in which those pilots prepared themselves for their final fatal mission. It would be two long years before the American forces were in a position to strike back at the Japanese forces occupying both Fort Stotzenberg and Clark Field, launching long-range airstrikes in an intense bomber campaign that lasted from October of 1944 to January of 1945. More than a thousand Japanese aircraft were destroyed or disabled during that time, blasted into smoldering wreckage by their American counterparts. With, this, with the writing truly on the wall for the ailing Japanese military, the installation was finally retaken by the Americans after a few fierce firefights that, that very same January. After the war ended, Fort Stotzenberg and Clark Field duly amalgamated and became Clark Air Base. As one of the biggest, arguably the biggest, U.S. overseas military installations, thousands of service personnel and their dependents passed through the, the establishment throughout the years, bringing with them the full gamut of human emotional experience, both good and bad. In order to meet their medical needs, a brand new state-of-the-art healthcare facility was constructed on the base in 1964. The Clark Air Base Hospital saw hundreds of babies brought into the world, and as we shall see, it was the last stop for many of those who were to leave it. Thousands of civilian patients were treated there each month, including those who sought care at its flourishing dental practice. During the Vietnam War, Clark was a key strategic base serving not only as a major logistical hub for the American forces, but also as the first point of medical evacuation for troops being flown out of the Vietnamese theater of operation. Clark's hospital wards would become a temporary home to soldiers who had been wounded on the battlefield, some grievously. Bullets, blades, punji sticks, artillery shells, and countless other weapons were capable of, in of inflicting the most horrific injuries imaginable upon the human body. And after stabilization by trauma surgeons in the field tent, in the in the field tent hospitals, these survivors were shipped back to Clark for more definitive medical care. It is also important to bear in mind that the physical wounds of war can be matched, if not exceeded, 
with the psychological injuries which are harder to find because they have a habit of lurking beneath the surface. What we know today as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD was referred to during the 1970s as Vietnam Syndrome. The name was different then, but the effects were the same. Crippling mental illness brought on by the extreme stresses of combat. The Clark Air Base Hospital did indeed have a mental health ward, but one has to wonder whether it was able to cope with the sheer volume of emotionally traumatized servicemen returning from the front lines. Entire busloads of new patients would arrive there every day. With so much raw emotion and with so much sheer trauma of both the physical and the psychological kind passing through its doors, is it any wonder that a place such as the Clark Air Base Hospital should become the center of so many ghost stories? When the volcano Mount Pinatubo erupted violently in 1991, tons of volcanic ash were hurled into the air, carried aloft on the winds, and ignominiously dumped over pretty much all of Clark Air Base. The hospital was hit particularly hard, and when the last American forces took down the Stars and Stripes before departing from Clark that same year, what was once a shining example of modern medical practice was allowed to languish and rot. To add further insult to injury, looters broke into the hospital and completely gutted it, stripping the rooms bare of anything that might hold even the slightest value. This included not only the expensive medical equipment, but fittings and fixtures as simple as door handles and window frames. Like maggots stripping a dead carcass down to its barest bones, the looters kept coming back until absolutely nothing was left but for the structure and the ghosts. Although paranormal activity has been reported at several places on the base grounds, such as the auditory phenomena emanating from the old home plate canteen and the ghost of an airman, who supposedly hanged himself to avoid falling into Japanese hands and whose restless spirits is now said to haunt the base museum. Most of the, ghosts, most of the ghostly episodes seem to center upon the former hospital. Although the building that once housed the, the base hospital is now a gutted shell, a mere shadow of the medical facility that cost more than $4.5 million to build, it is far from a peaceful place. Those who live in the area say that the apparitions of servicemen long dead may sometimes be seen walking through the ruined interior of the abandoned hospital, both by day and by night. Whereas many local residents avoid the area at night, a few adventurous folks, usually teenagers, occasionally venture into the area in an attempt to see whether the ghostly tales have any truth to them. But the real experts on the paranormal activity taking place at the Clark Air Base Hospital are those brave souls who prowl its corridors with a flashlight once darkness has fallen.
the night shift security guards. The guards were no stranger to hearing footsteps and voices after dark in the area of the hospital. Along with the apparition of a female clad entirely in white who has been seen drifting through the ruins in more than one occasion. Blogger and urban explorer Robert Joe is a man who likes to find his own answers. Working on behalf of his National Geographic TV show, I wouldn't go in there. Robert set out to spend some time inside the crumbling walls of the former hospital building in order to investigate the ghost stories for himself. But before he stepped foot inside the place, Robert and his production team interviewed a number of Clark civilian employees, including one of the night watchmen who had patrolled the building on an hourly basis each evening after 10 o'clock. And this was back in the 1970s when the hospital was still functioning. One of the most compelling reasons for paranormal activity to take place mostly at night, or at least for it to appear to take place mostly at night, is that the world around us is so much quieter and calmer. Sounds travel further without the hustle and bustle of the daytime world as a backdrop, allowing smaller and fainter sounds to be heard more easily. One former Clark Hospital security guard reported hearing the sound of boots striding across the cement floor, followed almost immediately by the sensation of overwhelming coldness when he was patrolling the first floor shortly after midnight. The unfortunate guard then came face to face with the apparition of what, ha- what appeared to be an American serviceman large of stature and uniformed in military camo fatigues. As the security guard, stupefied, gaze traveled slowly upward from the serviceman's boots to a point just above his neck. The man was terrified to realize that the only thing missing was the soldier's face. If this were the classic ghostly encounter, whether it happened to be in fact or fiction, this would be the point at which the apparition would fade away into nothingness, leaving the startled witness to question his own sanity. But in this case, something far more interesting happened. The faceless soldier asked for a cigarette. The security guard handed one over with hands that must surely be trembling with fear. The ghostly soldier physically took the proffered cigarette, causing an icy chill to run through the guard's fingers. It was only then, when the guard had lit the soldier's cigarette for him, that the apparition suddenly disappeared into thin air. The body, cigarette, cloud of smoke, and all. With that, we end our meeting. Thank you for joining us this week in learning more about Philippine culture 
in history. Let us hear from you and tell us how we can do better. Reach out to us on Twitter at Konyo History Club or at KonyoHistoryClub at gmail.com. Help the club out by sharing the podcast with your friends and rate us wherever you may be listening. We hope you come back next week for another meeting where we can embark on another journey towards the unknown. Again, I'm Ben, and that's Camille. Thank you for listening.